Hello, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning, even if it's only through the computer. I noticed that some of you are looking a little shaggy, like me. Hairstylist, we miss you and appreciate you more than ever. I know another thing that's right near the top of my list of things that I miss during the coronavirus quarantine, and that is worshiping with you. As great a job as our band and the tech people are doing, it's just not the same as all of us being together, especially when we're singing praise and worship to the King of Kings. So I'm just blessed to be with you in this time. And as we prepare to open God's word, let's join together in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity as the people of God, to gather, even if it's gathering in a different way. We thank you that we can gather in your name and lift up praise and worship to you, God. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. We pray that you would teach us and encourage us as we hear from you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's lots of talk today about heroes, and rightfully so. When you go into work each day, knowing that you're potentially exposing yourself to a deadly disease for the sake of others, you are a hero in my book. So can I add my thanks to the doctors, nurses, and other essential workers who are out there, as they say, on the front lines in the battle against the coronavirus. Those are real-life heroes. But in our culture, fictional superheroes are a wildly popular thing today. As a kid, my favorite superhero was a cartoon character named Underdog. I love the fact that he carried a secret energy pill in his ring, and when it seemed like all was lost, he could take the pill and get new revived power to escape whatever peril he was in at the time. Almost every poll out there says that the favorite superhero of all is, drumroll please, Superman. I remember the introduction to the old black and white TV show. It would describe him as Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Superman was awesome. But one thing always mystified me about him, and that was how a change of clothes and putting on a pair of glasses made him completely unidentifiable, even to those who worked in the same place he worked on a daily basis. I love superhero movies, but I have to admit, I've started to get a little bored with them lately. Maybe it's just the sheer proliferation of movies that have come out. Marvel has now made 43 different movies. Add to that another eight by DC, and we're over 50 different superhero movies having been made. But more 
than just the sheer number of movies is the problem of just how many times can you save the world before it gets a little bit anticlimactic? Thor, the Avengers, Iron Man 3, Thor, the Dark World, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Captain Marvel, and Avengers Endgame all have a plot that includes the heroes saving the world from various enemies. I didn't even look at the DC movies for this count, but I'm sure even more could be added from there. And one of my personal favorites in the series, the alien enemy actually succeeds in killing a significant percentage of our entire planet. But yes, after over 50 movies, I have come to the conclusion that even something as epic as saving the world can get old. Ho-hum, they saved the world again. That being said, I do have to add that there's one circumstance under which I still don't think I'd be disinterested in watching the world be saved. That, of course, is if it was nonfiction. Wouldn't it be cool if we had a real superhero who could save us from every threat that threatened the world? He could save us from, say, a mysterious virus that threatens to kill a significant portion of the world population. Or better yet, what about a superhero that could save us from death itself? Now that would be a superhero that would make it to the top of my list, even over Underdog and Superman. I would contend that the greatest superhero of all is God himself. Here's my reasoning. Number one, God came disguised as a mild-mannered Jesus of Nazareth. Number two, God has an unparalleled set of superpowers. Three, God loves to save the day. And four, God has defeated his arch enemy. Follow with me as I read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All superheroes have a secret identity. For Superman, it was Clark Kent. For Batman, it was Bruce Wayne. For Spider-Man, Peter Parker. And for Wonder Woman, Diana Prince. For Underdog, 
Maybe some of you baby boomers remember. It was shoeshine boy. God came came disguised as mild-mannered Jesus of Nazareth. Our text says, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Talk about a good disguise. When he first showed up, he was disguised as a helpless baby. But in the end, his life and his resurrection proved him to be God-man, the greatest superhero ever. I like to call him God-man because we know that he was fully God and fully man. He has both a human nature and a divine nature in one person. The Bible teaches that he was fully man and supports that claim by showing that he had a human body as well as a spirit. He got hungry and felt pain. John 11 tells us that he was deeply troubled and even cried. He was born of a woman and he knew temptation even if he never sinned. Dr. Richard Seltzer was a brilliant surgeon and author who died just a few years ago. In one of his books, he told this story. I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in a palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself, he and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at, touch each other so generously, greedily. The young woman speaks, will my mouth always be like this? She asks, yes, I say, it will. It's because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand, and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with the God. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still works. This is what Jesus did for us. He twisted himself to accommodate us. He took on the frailty of human flesh. 
But the Bible also boldly and straightforwardly teaches that Jesus was fully God. Maybe the clearest statement of that in all of Scripture is found in Colossians 2.9, where it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. A paraphrased version of the Bible says it this way, For in Christ there is all of God in a human body. In our day, this is both questioned and straight out denied in both academia and the popular media. Media is usually careful not to carry out a full frontal attack that will brand them as anti-Christian, whereas academia is much more direct in its denial that this Jesus was actually God in the flesh. The Bible clearly shows how false that denial is. Not only does Jesus make repeated personal claims to being God, for example, John 8, 58 and 59, where he claims to be the I am. And then also in John 10, 30, where he says, I and the Father are one. But it also shows very clearly that Jesus was credited with names, attributes, and worship as are only properly given to God. He further showed himself to be God by living a sinful life and by performing many miracles, including raising both Lazarus and Jairus' daughter from the dead. Finally, he put the exclamation point on his claim to being God by raising from the dead as he had predicted he would. Yes, the disguise was a good one, but in the end, it's clear that the Bible teaches that mild-mannered Jesus was, in fact, really God-man. Next, we see that God-man is the greatest superhero because he has an unparalleled set of superpowers. In our text, it says, being in very nature God. What is his nature? What are the things that make God, God? We normally call them his attributes rather than his superpowers. For purposes of this discussion, let's compare God to that number one superhero of all time, according to our poll. It's said of Superman that he's faster than a speeding bullet. That's fast. I remember one episode of the old TV show where Superman flew around the world so fast that he made time go backwards. How does God stack up to that? Well, God-man is omnipresent. He doesn't have to be fast. He is, rather, everywhere at once. Those of you that do remember Underdog might remember that the lowest lane, so to speak, to uh, underdog was named Sweet Polly Purebred. When Sweet Polly Purebred needed her hero, she would cry out, Oh, where, oh, where has my underdog gone? Oh, where, oh, where could he be? Well, we never have to ask where God is. The psalmist, in fact, 
asked where he wasn't in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And then in Hebrews, we're promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. Does the quarantine have you feeling lonely? God's there for you. Are you afraid that you might come down with the virus? God's there for you. Are you in trouble? Do you need help? God is an ever-present help in time of need. Faster than a speeding bullet? So what? God is omnipresent. It was also said of Superman that he's more powerful than a locomotive. The classic scene from the old Superman TV show of the 50s would show Superman coming up against the hapless bad guys of the week. They would pull out their guns and start firing, only to watch the bullets bounce off his chest. Superman would then walk over to said bad guys, grab their guns away, and bend the barrels and throw them to the floor. As a kid, I thought it was just too cool. But compare that to God-man. Where Superman's claim to fame is more powerful, God-man's is all-powerful. The churchy word is omnipotence. More often, the scripture uses the word almighty. He is almighty God. Romans 1.20 says his power is eternal. More powerful than a locomotive? Big deal. Next, Superman has x-ray vision. God has omniscience. Listen to Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Some people listening this morning are trying to hide things from God. Your secret sins are not secret to him. Stop pretending that he doesn't know. You may be good enough to hide it from your spouse or from your parents, but you're not good enough to hide it from God. He already knows. When will you acknowledge that to him and ask him to give you his strength to overcome that sin? Pick any trait of any superhero you can think of and God-man can beat it. I know that because God-man has another attribute that we don't hear about as much as some of the others. It's called his infinitude. It basically means that he has no bounds. As A.W. Tozer said in his classic work, The Knowledge of the Holy, 
Whatever God is and all that God is, he is without limit. It reminds me of those childhood arguments where two boys would square off in a battle of my dad is better than your dad. Not long in the battle would come this line. My dad has more money than your dad. Oh yeah, well my dad has a thousand. Well, my dad has a million. And inevitably, the winner was always the first one to say, my dad has infinity. God, man, is infinite in all his attributes. You name the superhero, you name the attribute, but God, man, has you beat because he has infinity. Next, I would point out that God, man, loves to save the day. This is beautifully illustrated in an account from Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. The year is 701 B.C., and the northern kingdom of Israel has already fallen to the nation of Assyria about 20 years earlier. Hezekiah is king of the southern kingdom of Judah. The king of Assyria, a man by the name of Sennacherib, is on a military campaign which has now led him to Jerusalem. Hezekiah and the city of Jerusalem are surrounded by the most powerful army of the day. As we begin reading in Isaiah 36, Sennacherib is taunting the people of Israel. Verse 18, do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? You know, Hezekiah might not have always made the best decisions as king, but here he makes the right one. He calls on the greatest superhero of all. Hezekiah prays to God-man. Chapter 37, verse 14. Hezekiah went up to the temple of the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. It's true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these people and their lands. They've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Skipping ahead to verse 53, God says, here I come to save the day. Well, not in those words. Verse 33, therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city 
or even shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for the sake of my name and the sake of David, my servant. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Did you get that? Those that remained alive thought that they were waking up for a battle, but instead they were waking up for a funeral. The passage ends in verse 37 with Sennacherib humbly returning to his home in Nineveh. Verse 37 says, So Sennacherib, king of Israel, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. I love that story. Why? Because it reminds me that no situation is beyond hope when God man's in the picture. To Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem, it must have looked hopeless. And out of nowhere, 185,000 men are struck dead. Could Hezekiah have even imagined that? Are you facing a situation that looks impossible? Whether as a result of coronavirus or something else, nothing is impossible for God-man. Have you lost hope that things will work out in your marriage, in your job situation, in your financial situation? Have you lost hope about your health situation? There's no need to fear. God man is here. Isaiah 35:4 Say to those who are afraid, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. Ephesians 3:20 Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. He can work things out in ways that you couldn't even imagine. Now, admittedly, those ways might include some rough roads, some hard lessons learned, But in the big picture, however it ends, is God's best for you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know the outcome when they were thrown in the fiery furnace. But they knew that their God was capable of saving them and that his will was good and perfect. Listen to the account from Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, saying, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves to you. If you throw us into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from the furnace. He will save us from your power, O king. But even if God does not save us, 
We want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. We don't know where this coronavirus thing is taking us as individuals, as a country, or even as a world. But we do know that God is capable of eradicating it at a word. But no matter what he chooses, we will choose to trust that his will is good and perfect. My final point today, to show that God-man is the greatest superhero of all, is that God-man has defeated his arch enemy. Superman has his Lex Luthor. Batman has the Joker. And underdog, don't know that many of you would remember this one, had Simon Bar-Sinister. So who's God's arch enemy? Be careful. Don't go too fast here. You might get it wrong. Listen to this verse from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his foot, under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Why? Because death is what has the power to separate us from God for all eternity. If you die in your sin, the Bible clearly teaches that you cannot enter into the presence of God. Only by repenting, that is by turning away from your sin and your self-centered lifestyle and turning to God, asking Him to forgive your sins and to take control of your life, that's how you can be saved. God-man defeated his archenemy death when he died on the cross of Calvary, but then rose again three days later to live eternally. Death was swallowed up in victory, as it says later in 1 Corinthians 15. If you haven't done it already, let the God-man save you today by sharing in his victory over death as you by faith receive him as your Lord and Savior. You know, fictional superheroes are fun. And we've seen some incredible examples of real-life heroes during the coronavirus pandemic. But the hero who has proven himself to be the best hero of all is Jesus, the God-man. Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross and through your death defeated sin and death by rising again and giving us the opportunity to be raised with you to new life. Lord, we pray that each one of us would walk with you by faith 
knowing that our sins are forgiven because of your victory over sin and death on the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.